I invite you to turn to opening text in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4. As you know, we're going through our, our series of loving God, loving you as God loves you, relationships God's way, about relationships. And we're, gone, we're down to number 11 out of 12. We've gone on a, on a long journey here. And we almost finished. Today's sermon is entitled The Player Gets Played. <laughs> the Player Gets Played. There is something fascinating about entering into the realm of the forbidden. There's something appealing about getting something you know you're not supposed to get. There's a strange attraction that draws people to steal the love and affections from another person's spouse or loved one. Research by Dr. Dorothy Tenov has shown that the average, light, the average span, you remember, of an in-love experience of a couple, when they're in love, when they get married, the average span lasts for how many years? Do you remember? How much was it? It was two. Remember, I preached on it a few sermons ago. <laughs> it was two years. But the same research has shown that the average in love experience when people get married, they only last for two years. But research has shown that the average in love experience of a forbidden love affair, of a relationship with another man's wife or another woman's husband, actually lasts longer than one of a monogamous relationship. Interesting, huh? In other words, according to statistics, your love, in love experience will last longer if you're in a forbidden love affair than you are in a one-person relationship affair. Are we missing out on something here, church? <laughs> Is having an affair actually better to us, but we just don't know it? To cheat on someone else's, with someone else's wife or cheat with someone else's husband is it actually good for us and better for us and we're just missing it, maybe? Is it really the answer to invigorating the lifeless and dead soul that once used to overflow with life at one time? This morning, I want to tell you a little bit about lust this morning. You see, the sin of lust lies to us. It tricks and deceives us. The packaging of lust is pleasing, the outside, but the product is fatal. It may look good on the outside, but there is poison on the inside. So this morning, may our eyes be enlightened as we open the Word of God so that we may be able to penetrate the wrapping, the outer wrappings of lust this morning, that we may be able to see clearly the deadly reality within. Let us pray. Father, as your holy word is open, we do humbly ask for your spirit to help us to understand, to apply it to our lives, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at David this morning. 
Good example. Turn to 2 Samuel 11, verse 4. The Bible says, What did King David do? This is what the Bible says. David sent messengers and took her, Bathsheba, the woman he saw, and she came in. Now David's married and Bathsheba's married. Notice what it says. She came in unto him and he lay with her. He slept with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. David here, in this story, committed adultery with another man's wife. And while King David was having a love affair with another man's wife, I'm almost certain that he must have stifled his conviction by believing that what he was doing was not immoral. I'm almost certain that while he was intoxicated with passion, that he actually believed that what he was doing was not really that bad. I'm almost certain that as he, David spent time with Bathsheba that he must have questioned how something so wrong could feel so right. You see, the Bible says that the heart, my heart, your heart, is deceitful above all things, the Bible says, and desperately wicked. In other words, our hearts, my heart and your heart, falls for deception all of the time because its very nature is deceitful. Amen? So in other words, you for deception all of the time because your very own heart this morning is deceitful by its very nature. And so all the time, you become deceived, thinking what is actually wrong, you believe is actually right. David was deceived. He was deceived because his own heart, which was deceitful, had deceived himself. That is what sin does to us. Sin deceives us, believing that sin is really not that bad after all. There's benefits to it. There's good things you can get out of it. After all, you stay in love longer. Things look greater. You actually have a re-inspiring of life within you that you once used to have before you got married. Many great benefits on the outside. But on the inside, there's poison. What happened next? Look at verse 5. Let's go to 5 to 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 5 to 11. What happened next? The Bible says, And the woman conceived, or she got pregnant. David had a love affair with another woman. She got pregnant. Sent and told David and said, I'm with child, I'm pregnant. So it got worse. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent, Joab sent Uriah to David. Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. In the front lines, fighting for the country. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of food from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and went not down to his house. So David said, Go back to your home. Spend time with your wife. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from your journey? Why then didst thou not go down into your house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab 
and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to sleep with my wife? How can I spend time in my home? How can I even sleep with my wife? How can I even do all things? You see, David had made a plan. When he found out that the woman he had an affair with was now pregnant, he devised a plan to cover up his tracks. His joint plan with his mistress was to deceive Uriah into believing that there was nothing going on. By getting Uriah to sleep with his wife and make it seem that Uriah, Uriah had gotten pregnant, I mean, Bathsheba had gotten pregnant by Uriah while on leave. But I want you to notice that the Bible says that this plan didn't work. You see, beloved, it's one thing to commit a sin, and it's another to commit another sin in order to cover up your previous sin. In the same way, it's one thing to have an affair with someone else, but it's another thing to lie and to deceive in order to cover up what you had done. Amen? You see, when you commit adultery, the trust between you and your spouse has been broken. The sad thing is that most people will go one step further and they will deceive in order to cover up what they had done. But what they think will save their spouse from her will often be the nail in the coffin of the remaining trust that they have left in their relationship. What did David then do? Look at verse 14 to 17. Chapter 11, verse 14 to 17. Notice what the Bible says. David, what did he do next after this? His plan didn't work. The Bible says, It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in a letter saying, Set you, Uriah in the forefront of the hardest battle and retire you from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. David's plan A of deception had failed. So now he needed to resort to his plan B in order to cover up for his sin. And plan B was to have Uriah murdered. What a sad ending to such a good man. Uriah was not willing to go home to his own house. Uriah was a good man that he was not willing to, to sleep with his wife while, or do anything luxurious while his fellow soldiers were out there fighting for the religious and civil freedom of their nation. This very man who's, who loved David and served David so much, serving the very man who was now sleeping with his wife. He was faithful to the king David and he was faithful to his country, to his nation. This very man was sent out by David out there to be murdered and to be killed. Can you imagine? Can you feel the pain? Can you see the suffering that Bathsheba must have experienced when she found out that her husband was murdered by her lover? You see the pain and suffering today as you listen to the news and you read the magazines of how a jealous husband murdered 
the lover's spouse. You see the anger and the rage and the pain and the suffering that you see it. In the same way, David has spouse so far down that he's finally making those very same irrational decisions. For that is what sin does to us this morning, beloved. You see, one sin leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another sin. Have you ever lied to cover up a lie that you need to cover up for another lie? You see, once you sin, Satan has gotten you, and then he uses that sin in order to get you and force you to fall again and again and once again back into sin once again. So Uriah was murdered, and David believed that as long as Uriah was murdered and dead, everything would be all right. But was it? Turn me to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. What happens when we roll a stone out? Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. Let's look at a principle here. Then we get back to our story. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. The Bible says, Whosoever digs a pit will, what? Fall therein. And he that rolls a stone, it will return unto him. Whenever, whoever rolled the stone out, that will have that very stone roll right back to them. In other words, what you give is what you get. What goes around, what? Comes around. What you do to others will come back to you, right? When you do evil things to other people, evil things will come back to you, according to the Bible. You roll that evil stone, an evil stone will come right back. You roll a good stone, a good stone will come right back into you. In the story of David, for a while, it seemed that there was apparent peace and safety surrounding him in the midst of his sin. It seemed that everything was going just right and just perfect. But it was too good to last, for retribution was just around the corner for David. Turn back to our story, 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verse 1 to 10. Now let's look at what retribution was there waiting for David, for what he had just done to another man's wife. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 to 10. What retribution? The Bible says, And the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan was a prophet, unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, there were, Nathan telling the King David a story. He said, There are two men in one city, King David, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was unto him as a daughter. 
And there came a traveler to the rich man. There's the rich man and the poor man. Now, uh, the, the rich man had a guest come over. And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But he took the poor man, the rich man took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So this rich man, rather than using his great flocks, he took the one lamb that was as a daughter to the poor man and took that lamb from that poor man away. Lamb from that poor man away. And, and David's anger, verse 5, was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely what? Die. He's pronouncing sentence against the rich man. And also, this is the second sentence. He says, And he shall restore the lamb, how many times? How many times? Fourfold. Four times. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. Because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. So David's pronouncing judgment. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Referring to his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be your wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. See, David gave a fourfold judgment upon this rich man. And the prophet said, and he said, you're that guy, you're the rich man. You're giving a judgment, but you're that very guy, the rich man, that took the one thing that Uriah had was his wife. You took it from him for yourself as a wife. The one thing, you're that rich man. And the same thing that you gave judgment upon that rich man will come back to you in natural consequences for your sin, in natural retribution for what you've done. There was a fourfold judgment that David pronounced upon the rich man. And the same fourfold judgment came upon himself for the murder of Uriah. This judgment was fulfilled. As four of David's precious children, his four sons, were all killed. David's first son, which came through Bathsheba, through that sinful affair that they had, soon died after it was born, after Nathan proclaimed the judgment. David's other son, Ammon, who had raped his own sister, was killed by his other brother, Absalom, at a feast. Second son died. Second retribution that came around. The third retribution. David's other son, Absalom, 
who had incited a rebellion against King David and had been successful in running King David out of the kingdom, was killed by Joab, third retribution, third three sons that died through this one sin. Fourth son, David's other son, Adonijah, who had conspired to take over the throne in the place of Solomon, was stopped and executed after the death of David. Fourfold, it came back to him. He rolled out the stone once. Four stones came back to King David in divine justice and retribution for his sins. Thus, through the death of David's four sons, retribution for the death of Uriah was satisfied. And beloved, there is always consequences for our sins. Amen? Amen. There is always retribution for what we've done. You turn your car onto the freeway to the oncoming oncoming traffic, you're going to die. You put emerging hatch out of the airplane, you jump out without a parachute, you're going to die. There is natural consequences that this naturally happen from cause to effect. You sow, you reap what you sow, the Bible says. It naturally happens. Consequences for our actions. And yes, God will forgive us of our sins. And He would take away the guilt, praise God. But there is still also the natural consequences of our sins that needs to be reckoned with. You may murder someone and ask God for forgiveness. Great, He forgives you. You get clearness of soul and heart and guilt taken away and burden lifted off. You praise God. But the natural consequences of the law coming after you and putting you in prison is still likely to happen, right? There is natural consequences for what we do. And David had the stone roll back at him four different times. But what else happened? It didn't stop there. You think fourfold judgment and retribution coming back to him was, was enough? That's enough for David to experience in his life. But that wasn't enough. Turn to first, Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. What other retribution was given upon David as a consequence for his sins? Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. Back to our story. <clears throat> This is what Nathan said to David. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. That was fulfilled by Absalom, kicking him out of the kingdom to overthrow him. And listen to, but this is the worst part. It says, I will take your wives before your eyes, David, and give them unto your neighbor, to another man, and he shall sleep with your wives in the sight of this son. You see, when Absalom chased David out of the city and took over the throne, one of David's most trusted political advisors, whose name was Ahithophel, defected and joined forces with the rebel army. 
It was Ahithophel who advised Absalom to take to himself David's wives, as was the Middle Eastern custom of, custom of the day when a new ruler succeeded to the throne. Now, who knows who Ahithophel was? Does anyone know who he was? Related to? Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. You see, throughout all those years, Ahithophel was longing for the day when he would get some revenge against David for what he had done to his granddaughter and to her husband. And that day had finally arrived when Absalom took David's wives in front of all Jerusalem and slept with David's wives in front of all to see. He who at one time had slept with the wife of one of his most trusted, most trusted friends was now feeling how it felt like to have another man sleep with your wives. In other words, beloved, the player got played. He who once had hurt another person, who one who had broke the heart's the pain, the suffering, the anger, feeling crushed, who had brought all those feelings upon another relationship, another marriage that would, had dreams to last forever. He who had once done that and gotten in between had had the Rome stone rolled back, not only four times in retribution for murder, but had rolled back to him so that he would know what it felt to have someone to come between you and your spouse. The pain and the suffering, the hurt and the bitterness and the anger that all floods in because of that, all came as a natural result and retribution for what David had done. My question, if David was to see the whole results of his first sin, do you think that he would have done it? Probably not. And beloved, this morning, if you were to see the far-reaching results of the sins that you may choose to do this morning, would you still do it if you could see the future? Probably not. From this experience, what did David eventually long for? Turn to Psalms 51. Psalms chapter 51. Verse 1 to 12. Psalms 51, verse 1 to 12. Psalms 51, verse 1 to 12. What did David eventually long for? The Bible says, David saw what he did. And he came to God for repentance. And this is his prayer after he had had this affair and realized his mistake and that the wrapping that looked so good turned out to be so evil and poison within. And he said this prayer to God. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free Spirit. You see, David not only ate for forgiveness, beloved, but because he had sinned against man, but because he had mainly sinned against God himself. But David not only longed for forgiveness, he also longed for cleansing. He not only wanted to be free from the guilt and the shame of his sin, but he also wanted a new heart so that he would never, ever do that sin ever again. David had learned his lesson that the packaging of lust looks attractive on the outside, but he had finally learned his lesson through the retribution and the consequences and the results of his sin and down the years, what it caused to his family. You see, his family went that direction because after David's sin, how could he punish his children when he committed a worse sin than them? Right? And his children looked at the father and says, if you com- who do you think you ought to tell me what to do after what you did was just as evil? David has seen the results of his sin. And therefore he learned the lesson that he never ever wanted to do that sin again. So Lord, and he never did, the Bible says. He said, Lord, cleanse me. May I never ever sin this sin ever again. Give me a new heart that may have victory over sin. And there's a third thing that David also prayed for. David prayed for mercy from the God of mercy. Knowing that he was the face of the full retributions for the natural consequences of his sins. You see, one of the judgments that David gave was for the rich man to die. And this was to fall upon David. He was supposed to die. But he pleaded with God for mercy. And Nathan said, you will not die because of your prayers. God in his mercy spared David. I also want to notice that David and Bathsheba's second son was none other than who? Solomon. Who had the honor of being in the line of the Messiah. Out of debauchery came glory. Out of shame came grandeur. Out of sin came the Savior. What a merciful God that we serve today. Amen? Amen. Beloved, even though we may expect the natural consequences of our sins this morning. There are times where we may get to experience the compassion of God's grace this morning. Amen? 
Even though we may know that we deserve judgments for our action, there are times when we get to see the kindness of His mercy. Even though we may have done certain things and rolled out the stone this way, there may be times when God shows His favor and does not allow the stones to roll back at you and me this morning. And the only reason because we serve such a wonderful and loving and compassionate and merciful God this morning. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. amen. I can tell you from experience that our God is a very merciful God this morning. I praise God for showing mercy to me in these three different eras. He has forgiven my sins and taken away my guilt. And not only is he forgiven my sins, but he has allowed and to give me the victory over the sins in my life. And he has spared me many times over the just and natural consequences of my sins that I know I surely deserve this morning. Why? Because I serve a merciful and compassionate and all-loving God this morning. And these are the reasons why I love God so much this morning. Beloved, we're in the last days this morning. And we as Christians are to focus on prophecy for the world needs to be warned of what is soon to come upon us and break upon us in an overwhelming surprise. But at the same time as we preach about prophecy, we also need to be sure that we have accepted the last day message for ourselves first before we are to give this message to the world. For how can we give to the world that we ourselves have rejected? And this morning, it is our homes, beloved, truly, our homes that truly reflect whether we have accepted our messages or not. Amen? Amen. The real life of a Christian is revealed in the home. We often preach about the wrath of God while our own families are experiencing the wrath of our own sins this morning. We often preach about the time of trouble while our own homes are experiencing their very own time of trouble. We often preach about the seven last plagues while our own families are plagued with brokenness and despair this morning. We often preach about the beasts overseas while our own hearts still have the beasts living within us this morning. Sometimes we need to forget about the beasts overseas and start worrying about the beast that's still living within you this morning. Amen? There's a trap that hunters use. They get their knife that's very razor sharp and long, put it on a pole, and they stick it in the snow. This is the cat's wolves. They stick it in the snow and apply a little bit of blood on top of it, a little meat, the wolf, with his great sensing ability, smells it from afar, comes up to it, and the blood is there, and he starts licking the razor-sharp blade of the knife. Lick after lick after lick. The licks cut through his tongue, which makes it bleed even more. Thirsty for blood himself, 
he keeps licking and swallowing and licking and swallowing and licking the razor-sharp blades over and over and over again until he starts bleeding and bleeding more so that he eventually licks himself to death. That is exactly how sin works. Sin is like a knife. With every lick we think we are being satisfied, it seems so good. Not realizing that with every lick, we are one lick closer to our death. For sin is a form of insanity that is both blinding and destructive. This morning, if you have fallen into sin, either today or in your past, either physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, or through adultery, or mentally through an emotional love affair with someone else that's forbidden, you can this morning, through the grace of God, lay your sins on Jesus this morning. If there's sin in your lives that you need to give up and give to God, this morning, you can believe that Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. And he would take your sins too if you only let him have it. So this morning, as the singers sing this morning, I lay my sins on Jesus. You can turn and follow along if you like. I lay my sins on Jesus. 298, I believe. I want you to pay attention to words that you can lay your sins on Jesus. Why don't you let him have your sins by laying them all upon Jesus this morning as they sing?